It's time to get after it. You're going to jam your legs down and hyperextend your ankles and then shoot back up and lock your knees in place. Not one of those things sounds right to me. And welcome into the Upper Left Performance Podcast. I am your host, Jack Anderson. Today on the show, we are joined by George Green. George is the Associate Athletic Director of High Performance and Competitive Success at Stony Brook University. George is doing a job right now that no other strength and conditioning coach in the country is doing, uh, to mine and his knowledge, uh, as the Assistant Athletic Director for Competitive Success. Um, he is taking a high-performance model and doing an outstanding job with it, as you'll hear on this podcast, where he shares kind of what his dual role is, his colla- his collaborations with the rest of the university, and just how much of a leader he has been to the Stony Brook Athletic Department. Uh, I was really blown away by some of the stuff that George was talking about. I feel that it really is representing a massive shift in the value we can provide as strength and conditioning coaches. Um, He also talks in depth about his training program, what he looks for in conditioning and lifting. He talks in depth too about his guys, the level of communication he has with them, how he uses data to enhance those conversations. And then of course we discuss just how good his wife's cooking is. Um, Not that I know firsthand, I just see it on Instagram, but boy, it looks delicious. Previously, George spent time at the University of Mary Washington, where he was the program's first director of strength and conditioning. He also spent time in the tactical community, working with special operators, and also has stints at the University of Massachusetts Amherst and Iowa University. We started things off talking about the coronavirus. Boy, it's been a doozy. It's really been a shame that it's kind of just shut everything down, and he just talks about what is going on with his athletes at this time. Hope you all enjoy. Let's get to it. Trying to obviously let them get let them get home and with, be with their families and um, get home was obviously first priority. But now that everybody's pretty much off campus and, you know, I think to some degree, I think, you you know, even when the announcement was made, it's almost like it happened so quickly. You're not prepared for a season end, ending, uh, you know, stuff like this just doesn't happen. So, I think once everybody kind of got a handle on it and realized, okay, this is reality, we're going to have extended period of time here where we're not training for competition. Um, that allowed us a little bit of time as a staff to think about what we want to send home to our athletes. Um, and then just, and, and also just be able to communicate with our athletes. I think the biggest thing is being able to find ways to communicate with them at the same level you do while they're here obviously that's not that's not the same circumstances but keep them engaged um and and even if it's not talking about workouts but we've uh, as a staff we've talked about check-ins and keeping an excel spreadsheet to make sure we have tabs on on our athletes just to how they're doing both physically and mentally just with this whole process because you know as as strength conditioning coach like you it's it's natural to identify as a coach so when you're not coaching people as adults, we're sitting here like, wow, this is, this is, this is, this is, this is different. Um, you know, but from an athlete, they identify as with their sport. So they're always, you know, if they're football players, they're in spring ball right now, right now there's no spring ball. So they've never been through this, uh, you know, for, uh, lacrosse players, they are finishing up, you know, the, you know, the, the early stage of their season and have the rug pulled out underneath from them. So that that's how athletes identify. So 
just finding creative ways to keep them engaged, I think is the biggest thing. We have our first set of workouts going out tomorrow, like our first formal set <clears throat> for all the athletes that are at now home. We're going to send out three-week locks, place a heavy emphasis on speed and jump training and things that they could do that, you know, has some carryover and then do whatever we can from a body weight training standpoint and try and individualize things for kids that, that were for, are fortunate enough to have some equipment in their house. But ultimately, we're working with our, with our own bodies for uh, – you know, the extended future. So long winded answer to a, to a short question. Well, no, but that's, that's it's interesting. Cause like you said, I mean, it, it, in one, one hand you could think, well, great. We have more time than ever to plan for a season or something like that. And you'd think that'd be amazing. But like you said, where we have such limited resources um, with so many of this, it can be, it can be a little bit of a, a scary time in terms of that. Yeah, no question. Um, yeah. Uh, so talk to me a little bit just about kind of your role and what you've been doing. This is the main reason why I wanted to bring you on um, as, as the assistant athletic director for high performance and uh, com- what was it, competitive success. Um, yeah. I, I think that's a unique title and I think it, it's definitely going to draw some attention as, as and I'm sure it already has to some extent in, in the strength and conditioning world because you're kind of starting to uh, marry a lot of disciplines together and put together a, a, a department that's probably going to be very unique. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, this, this kind of came about over the last year and conversations with um, our athletic director, Sean Hilbrin, um, really more or less, what other things impact performance outside of, you know, the traditional strength and conditioning method. So, um, you know, he's really kind of tasked me with bringing in other experts, whether they're related to sleep or, you know, how do we best travel uh, to, for success. Um, you know, nutrition is a huge part of what we do that that's grown tremendously, uh, over the last, uh, in the four years that, um, that I've been there, we've, we've started with basically post-workout recovery shakes. And now we have RDs on staff, we have training table, we have fueling stations. Like that's been a tremendous, um, kind of project that we've, we've been working on as a staff, um, for a while now. Now, and then, the growth of technology, sports science, and more or less just monitoring and managing training load. How do we best do that? And what technology do we need? So really marrying all those things and then just being a high level communicator, um, you know, tying other groups together, whether it be uh, sports medicine or other groups on campus that we work with on certain projects, um, you know, and then obviously continuing to, to put out a, a great product in the weight room and, 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 and how we train our athletes. We want to be um, high level. So, um, you know, really, when he he brought this title or this role to me this this year, this is the first year I'm in this position. Mm-hmm. Really, more or less, he's like, I want you to focus on anything uh, that that stops us from winning, and do your do everything you can to help us um, find ways to quantify why we win and and figure out why we lose. So it's kind of a unique job. I'm still trying trying to figure it out myself, and. Um, you know, it's, but I'm excited for that opportunity to be in that role right now in my career. So what's changed for you, uh, like from the first two years now to this third year then? Yeah. So this, this is actually my fourth year. So in June, that'll oh, be my, fourth my fault. Year. <laughs> my fault. Um, and you know, my first, my first year or two here, I worked really, my, my role was predominantly just, I had, I was an assistant AD for athletic performance and, you know, my role was to be a strength coach um, and oversee that area. Like any other head strength and conditioning position, I just had the assistant AD title that went along with that. I was on a few committees, but it was 
you know, really not a lot of administrative work. It was more in the trenches. Um, I worked with more teams at, at the time um, than I do currently. And that was really where my head, like the, the, the majority of my time was spent coaching. Um, fast forward to my going, second going into third year, um, was able to bring in a new staff member, um, was able to take some team responsibility and shift things around. So where I, I really only work hands-on with men's basketball, and then I still do a lot with the football program. And I was able to take on more administratively. So I went from really just being on, I was a student athlete welfare committee uh, to serving on the management team, and then which is uh, basically all the heads of departments uh, that meet. And it was, a, at the time, it was a monthly meeting and, you know, check-ins and, um, you know, and kind of an overview on your area in those meetings. And then from there, um, I got brought into the executive team, which was a weekly meeting. It was a smaller group. Um, and then from there, I got added to the AD's uh, leadership council, which is just a senior staff. So it's there's there's five of us um, um, that meet every Wednesday. And you know, that's bigger picture stuff, you know, and obviously it's, it's, it's report outs from my area. But I'm also, you know, it's an opportunity for me to learn, too, and hear things from what's going on from a compliance NCAA standpoint, from, um, you know, from uh, housing and uh, fundraising and all these other areas that you really never get, a, you know, it's not even a really a chance, but you just never, you're never exposed to it um, if you're, if you're not outside of the weight room wall. So that's been, that's been a cool experience for me. And so my job here is unique. I enjoy it because I get to do a little bit of both. I still, I still coach a very hands-on, uh, with our basketball program, I travel full time. I'm at every practice. You know, I, I wear one hat in that as a as the coach for that program, and then over, you know, as a the head strength coach for the department. And then the other hat is more administrative. That really challenges me in a way that I, you know, the, the strength and conditioning side is what you're used to. This is the kind of the, the, the unique challenge or a new challenge for me personally and professionally. So. Yeah, but this is where I think it's good that it's going this direction for our field, especially for someone like you who has the experience that you do, because, I mean, you have a wide range of experiences and you can probably provide a perspective in those meetings and continue to expand your own perspective um, to help the school and help the student athlete experience, right? No question. I, and I think that's where strength coaches, I think the more that folks get into roles like this, I think the more administrators will see the value in Ultimately, every single athlete, healthy, not healthy, um, you know, freshman through seniors, we see them every day. By Wednesday, every single athlete in the building has come through our weight room, um, you know, or by Tuesday. Um, so I think that's the only place where really, you know, if, if you want to talk to somebody that has a pulse on what, how, what the department is, what the vibe is, how are the athletes doing? How is it, What's the culture like? Do they appreciate all the things we're doing for them? You know, you're in a unique sit, seat uh, as a as a leader of the strength and conditioning department. So I just think it's you know it's uh, it's a matter of time. But I think the more people that are willing to kind of accept that um, and maybe advocate for that, I think you know I think it'll be better for us long term. When you were uh, like approached about this, or were kind of working through this new title, uh, did you talk to any other schools that are kind of going this route to kind of get an idea of how you could best approach this, or is this almost like a a first of its kind in the field type thing. It's interesting because there's a the competitive success piece or the high performance piece. The high performance piece you see, you see yeah. that's popped up quite a bit. That's obviously internationally and yeah. professional things. That's pretty popular, and you'll see it a little bit more at the, at the collegiate level. Um, Pat Ivy at Louisville, um, you know uh, William and Mary. William and Mary's is great. Yeah, 
Yeah, they, Eric Corum, uh, I know they do a great job there. I think that that's popped up more and more. Um, but the competitive success piece is uh, there's one other program, and he's the deputy AD, and his role is completely different. He doesn't have a strength conditioning background, but um, uh, Dr. Wood at UCF, um, you know, his role oh, okay. is, really, is really more, um, you know, he came from the academic side and, and climbed the ranks, and I've, I've had a couple conversations with him. He's an awesome guy, and, and he's – um, I picked his brain a little bit about some of the things that they do there, but in terms of strength and conditioning, coaches and and this role, it's definitely unique for sure. That's that's really cool. Has anybody approached you about it um, for for their own school or anything like that? I, I honestly ha- I haven't had anybody reach out yet. More than welcome, uh, willing to answer any questions if anybody has any, but. Um, I haven't had anybody reach out yet. Oh, you know, it's going to happen, man. It'll happen at some point. <laughs> um, uh, no, that's awesome. That's really cool. Um, have you noticed or gotten feedback from the students about it? Like has thing, have things changed from their perspective uh, in this year? Or do you think they will? Well, obviously they will, but. Yeah, I think, I think the students that are, are seniors or juniors now can really see the difference. And just in terms of what, what we provide, uh, has grown tremendously. So um, the senior class now who were freshmen when they got here, um, you know, have seen training table get added, have seen a fueling station get added, have seen staff, um, you know, additions. And so, you know, more resources provided. So, you know, one of our big goals was, you know, a couple of years ago was to make sure that you know, any, any training, conditioning, mobility, flexibility, lifting, whatever it is was done in our facility where, um, you know, at times coaches were because of staff sizes and stuff, a lot of times like would run their own conditioning and stuff you've, you know, you've, you're familiar with yeah. as, as things evolve. So, you know, we, we've added one staff member, but I, I have a um, Excel spreadsheet that shows like the increase in, um, you know, touches that my staff now has with the teams in comparison to what it was four years ago. So, you know, teams that were normally, hey, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you come in and lift, but we can't provide conditioning or now do it five days a week because two days a week they're they're getting conditioning from the from this uh, athletic performance staff. So um, the evolution of that has grown. So is the relationship with the staff and the athletes, the staff and the, and the coaching staffs. Um, you know, we've done a, a lot more with collaborative meetings uh, with support staff with with many of our teams. So weekly or biweekly, depending if it in our offseason trainer, the academic advisor, strength coach, head coach, and staff get together, talk about the week, talk about training, talk about injuries, talk about academic, um, you know, periods. And I, and I don't, you know, I know that athletes necessarily see that, but I think they see it probably of an, an increase in um, the, how connected the groups are that work with the team. There's nobody that operates in a silo, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, and that's, that's the beauty of this, this high-performance model. Because, I mean, that's the biggest thing. Like, obviously, I was just, just came from the military side where we're trying to implement something where we marry a bunch of disciplines together and get, um, get everything working uh, in, in some sort of cohesive fashion instead of everybody doing their own thing. And I think exactly. it really ties in beautifully with what I think a lot of us say all the time, where we need to think of these you know, athletes as human beings first because then we're accounting for all the stressors are trying to account for all the stressors that are going on in their day. And it's not just us focusing on them as athletes or in the weight room or at practice or something like that. Yep, for sure. Um, uh, but yeah, so when you, you actually, I do want to go down this conditioning hole a little bit. It was later on my list of questions, but let's just go into it now. Um, 
so you get more touch points now. So I would imagine then that you have a little more say in what's going on with the conditioning piece. But I was curious. I ask a lot of the basketball um, D1 basketball coaches, since you are a lot at only a certain period of time, and I know some basketball coaches like to run their own conditioning. How are you? What are you doing on the conditioning side with your with your guys, uh, depending on the time of year or whatever it is? Sure. So, really, the I think that the, with the rule changes in basketball that came a few years ago, with them being able to do summer workouts, conditioning has been one of the the easiest qualities for in, in terms of even just year-round maintenance of, of, of conditioning levels for, for college basketball players. They're always on the floor. And, and, I, and I can, I'll speak to our guys, and I think I've, I've had other conversations with many basketball strength coaches. Um, you know, they, they play pickup constantly. They do individual workouts on their own constantly. And they, um, and they now have these individual sessions or, you know, kind of mini practices with the coaching staff. So the reality is, is that's not something that, we need to spend a tremendous amount of time on. Um, we get a lot of our conditioning in, or our, our, you know, what we could, we consider to be conditioning in through what we do in the weight room early in the off season. We do a lot, like, you know, I've seen you post stuff about the mass program. That's kind of an early phase uh, that we do with our guys. They oh, Lord. <laughs> so they develop a really good, they develop a really good base leading into um, what they're going to do in preseason. Um, but they really, we really don't do a tremendous amount of conditioning and our head coach is awesome. Um, uh, Gino Ford, like he's, his philosophy essentially is we need to have fresh legs in March. So why we do not need to be in game shape in August and even in November, he's, he's conscious of us, of us being at a, playing at a high level in our first game. But whether we lose, win our first non-conference game or we lose our uh, first non-conference game, probably isn't going to have a major impact on how we're seeded. We, in a mid-major league, we got to win the league to go to the tournament. So we'd rather be at our best in March than at our best in November. And for other schools at the highest level, like every win is critical for how they're seeded in the tournament. Ours, it's a little bit different at our level. So, um, again, a long-winded answer to your question. Uh, all the conditioning stuff I handle at practice, it's, it's all part of practice. The conditioning is all part of practice. We don't line guys up and say, hey, we're going to do down and backs. We're going to do, um, you know, traditional conditioning at the end of practice or at the beginning of practice. Our drills and our, and our playing style is, is, is get out and run, and we have great athletes. So that's emphasized as part of our practice more so than a separate piece to it. I think that's great. I mean, that's kind of the way I've always tried to look at it. I know um, you mentioned mass and everything and you talk, and I think that's a great way to kind of accumulate some volume and get some, uh, get some sort of conditioning stimulus early in the year. But once you get closer to the games, let's just let basketball handle it, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's the big thing. And, and, you know, basketball, I'm reading the book now and it's got some interesting stuff in there that most people, most people know, but um, you know, it's the, the NSCA just put out with uh, the, a couple of NBA strength coaches. Mm -hmm. um, it's, and it has in the early part of the book, it's just got some, some basic, uh, you know, needs analysis info and the percentage of time the athletes spend sprinting is, is honestly minimal in comparison to how much time they spend jogging, walking. So like these guys need to be able to move, explode um, at a high level. And I think sometimes coaches are so concerned with conditioning piece that is, is they just need to be able to do snap. They got to have their legs. Got to be able to sprint. They got to be able to move with the same speed and intensity as they do in the first half. If you get too far into traditional conditioning that you see with basketball with 22s and 
um, you know, a lot, even some schools with a mile and some of the distance stuff, you're training the wrong energy system. The kids are not prepared for games. So they look tired and re- when re- at the end of the game, but reality is, is they're, they're conditioned for the wrong sport. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. they, and so I think that's, that's a critical piece to it is just know your demographic and also know your team too. Like we got to get out and run. So we, our guys need to have low body fat. Like they need to, you know, they, they gotta be athletic and they gotta be for us to be able to do what we do. So knowing our team, I think that plays a role in how we train in the offseason too and what our primary focuses are in the weight room. So what – yeah, so take me into that then with the primary focuses in the weight room. What are you – what are you looking at? What are your kind of your big rocks? What are you focusing on? Yeah, you know, our team – and it's changed every year, but our team right now, we went from always being young. Like this year we we were one of six teams in the country to not have a senior. Um, And next year we'll have like seven or eight guys graduating. So – We'll have a really advanced group of guys uh, as, as seniors, guys that um, there's four or five of them that have been with me since really since I got here, one of which was here the day I got here. It was a redshirt kid. Um, but they're all guys that trap bar five to 600 pounds, bench, you know, 275 to 315 as basketball players, um, you know, good squatters. You like, go play football shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Snatching, you know, 205, 185, cleaning 300, like really strong kids. For basketball players, very, very strong um, from what you traditionally would see. So those guys, it's really not about getting them stronger. It's just about it's fine-tuning. It's, you know, figuring out what their maybe – what their individual weaknesses truly are and addressing those while maintaining the qualities that they do have. And then the younger guys, for me, it's really more – it's strength and muscle mass. Like these guys, it's amazing. Um, because their training uh, age is so low, you know, we, we have guys that, go, you know, and, and this is this is just it's literally the most basic linear periodization program you could ever imagine for a freshman to be on. And their verticals go up six, seven inches. They gain 15, 20 pounds because they're eating in a different way. They're training consistently and they're simply just getting stronger relative to their body size. So um, really the primary focus for our first and second year guys is let's put as much lean muscle mass as we can that makes sense for their body type and their position um, and get them as strong as possible. Um, we want to, you know, we we really feel that the stronger these guys get, um, the, the, the lower the incident of injury is going to be. And knock on wood, we've had real, real good success over the past four years. Um, we've had, you know, we had a high ankle sprain this year. We've had two concussions and we've had some broken fingers, but we've, we've lost very few man games to injuries in four years. And I think part of that is the off season work. But after that is the commitment to the in season process, we get stronger as the year progresses. And then obviously when we get to January, you know, we go into what you would consider more traditional maintenance stuff, but we, we train through um, Christmas. Like we train, you know, almost off season intensity for sure. Um, not quite the same volume, but we we really feel like that's that's a big part of our of our part of our program. The weight room is a big part of our program. Our head coach will say that to you. Um, he says it to the guys every year. We don't go there two, three times a, a week throughout the year on the road, wherever we are. It doesn't matter um, for no reason. It's it's a big part of what we do, and I'm I'm fortunate to work with a coach that that believes in that. Well, and your guy, and you, I think it speaks to your guys too because you come in with this, and and I you know I only see snippets on Instagram and whatnot, but we've talked before, like. You got some dogs. Like, they like to train, it looks like. They do. They do like to train. They do. I, I think they probably think I'm crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, but but they they do. You know, there's – we've uh, you know, Andrew Garcia is a kid on our program, is a fifth-year kid, wants to be a strength coach, um, is as big and strong as anyone in the country. 
um, so he embraces it and he's uh, he was an all conference kid. He was a six man of the year last year. So, and then our, our first team all league player, Elijah Uliani, um, is a terrific athlete is a very good weight room guy. Um, so when your two best players are your, also your two best lifters, it just kind of enhances your culture. And that's kind of been the case uh, for us. So, um, that helps me too, where if freshman comes in, they may not love the weight room, but they see the guy that they, you know, that they, that they admire, you know, going a hundred miles an hour. Um, it's hard not to follow suit. So that, it's a good group. Then our other guy, Mikhail Foreman, our starting point guard, you know, broke our three point season record this year. Like he gets after like, so even guys that, you know, and he's a, he's a three point shooter. He's um, you know, hit for his, for his body. You, you wouldn't think a guy like him would train as hard as he does in the off season because he it's he doesn't use it like those other guys do in the positions that they play the three or four spot but like he gets after it so like it just it makes it easier for me yeah how much how much individualized uh training do you do for these guys i mean you, i think as you said it's pretty general for your freshman to get them to a certain training age to a certain sure. level of uh competency in the weight room but after that how much what conversations are you having with guys to get them uh, exactly what they need once, you know, for that fine tuning piece? Yeah. In season, it's completely individual. Um, I have a couple of factors I look at. I do a basic RP. We, we, we were, we use first beat. And so mm -hmm. I use some of the training that I get from there. I like RPE for, for them. I think they're very honest and I get a feel for where they are for, especially for the advanced guys. Like, you know, it's a guy that, let's say a guy that's got 500 as a red shirt, as a red shirt senior versus a guy that's got 225 as a freshman, like that guy saying he feels banged up versus the freshman that says he feels banged up is a totally different um, approach from my end where that kid, okay, I might be able to push you through. We could, maybe we'll deviate a little bit and, and reduce things But that older guy, you know, 70% of 500 is still a high number in comparison to 70 225 so like those are that num the rp numbers are important to me and then minutes played so like those three things what do we look like okay in, and then what's our game schedule for the week so you know an advanced guy with a two game week with a high rpe and a high training load is going to have a major reduction in his the percentage that we use for that week the same time that same player if we have one game and it's uh and it's a game we might be able to get um you know he might not have to play as much and if, let's say we're playing a non-d1 or something like that I may ramp things up higher than I previously anticipated, assuming the week goes as planned. So every week, every game, I change things based on what I see. And I obviously have a shell of a program that I plan to do with movements and um, a general idea. But those adjustments are made individually uh, based on the day and the week. Um, and then offseason, I break them up into groups also. We train as a team um, a little bit more in the summer and then, and then, all, and then as a team through preseason, but in season and, um, in the early off season, like right now, if we were training in the postseason, these guys would be in three groups. Um, and those groups would be split up. Uh, last year we did our big guys. Um, we had our older, uh, wings and, and then we had a group of younger, uh, a group of younger guards. So we split up that way. Um, and then those guys are on similar programs um, as much as, as as much individualization as we need to apply, but they're completely different. So our big guys last year were doing a completely different program than, um, you know, some of our other players. And and then in season, as I said, it's completely it's, it's basically one on one. They come in, um, you know, basically when they have gaps in their day 
And then there's a larger group that come right before practice and then a few guys that come after. But most of our sessions are done pre-practice. Yeah, I was talking to um, Evan over at University of Oregon. Uh, we kind of like struck up a bit of a friendship. And uh, he was telling me like, man, it is not what you think it is when you come in, you know, because he, he has some, a bunch of experience in some other programs. But he's like, once you're in charge of something like this, it is much like you want to have a year plan, but you have to remember that a lot of times that your plan is not going to go as you foresee it based on the course of the season and whatnot. And I think that's a good message for like younger coaches. It is. It, it, it's, it's okay to be that way. And I think if you're not, you're in trouble. And I, you know, and that takes time. It takes, it, it's feel like I talked about a couple of metrics there, but it's feel it's look at your guys. Like, you know, if you're with them every day and you're with them at practice, and you've got a group that's bought in and they're not just lazy kids who stink. Like if you have good kids <laughs> who are bought and they look like crap, they make an adjustment, you know, like, you know, like they always say the biggest thing, I think, I think you could lose a game with one workout. You're not going to win one. So if you get, if you, if you do, if you do a little too much in season and guys are banged up, sore, you have an injury in the weight room that loses you a game. But if you back off based on what you see, for one week, it's not going to lose you a game, and you can always kind of gain ground and re and 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 then increase intensity as the weeks go on. So, uh, and that's with our advanced guys. The young guys, I really push through, and you know, most of our freshmen this year, just the way it worked out, it, and it's done, it's happened in years past too. Most of our freshmen didn't play to the second half of the year. It's just getting used to the speed of the game. They're playing five minutes a night you know, why not train those guys? Like, why not push those guys? So those guys, you know, might be hitting doubles or singles at 90% where our older guys are doing multiple sets of two or three at 65% on a given week. And then all of a sudden they're back through January. And then when they are called into play, you've got a totally different athlete than you had in September. Yeah. Um, so that, that takes buy-in from the head coach a hundred percent because, you know, without that, you know, if you want, if, if everybody's treated the same and the head coach wants it that way, you're not, you don't have a lot of flexibility with that, but those guys would come in and, and, and get after it four days a week. And then, you know, when they started playing, they got put in with the other guys. So I think that's the way you got to look at it too. pay attention to that. And then you just got to, you know, you pull them aside and say, listen, like, here's a guy, like the guy I mentioned earlier, Elijah, um, as a freshman, he played, but he didn't play a ton second half of the year and and put on a bunch of weight and visibly looked different and was finishing and ones the second half of the year he wasn't in the beginning of the year and he would speak to that he's like I felt strong able to do more you know so I'm I pull freshmen aside and I say listen the guy that's sitting right there that's an all-league first team guy I literally did the exact same thing with him this isn't punishment this isn't hey I don't like you so I'll do more this is this is for you so to, to be at the end of the year for you to look different to play different to feel different so don't take it like, hey, everyone else is getting an off day and you don't. So yeah. I think you've got, you've got to have the right culture in place and you've got to sell it to them to a certain degree because if they're just coming in and going through the motions, it's a waste of everybody's time. But if they commit to it and they, and they buy into it, you can get a lot done in season. Absolutely, 100%. Now, you, were, you, know, you mentioned the data and just using first beat and whatnot. What, uh, what, 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 are, what are you looking at with the data? How driven are you by it? Like, what's your kind of um, philosophy when approaching it? I, a couple of things, one from like a performance standpoint, I really like to look at the heart rate recovery piece. Like what's our fitness level? Are we doing enough at practice? Um, and, and cause that sometimes is the biggest question from, for a coach and, and for us overall too. But you know, 
when we get into practice and we're, you know, if we have a Saturday game and it's a Tuesday and we don't play Wednesday, like we're probably going to go live and scrimmage. And in our practices, we would have, you know, two to three minute breaks in between like you would in a media timeout. Mm -hmm. And that heart rate recovery information is really important for a coach if he wants to know how long can a guy go and how long do I need to have him out for. <clears throat> so our guys that are super fit and in in-game shape will drop down extremely fast and that two-minute war uh, two-minute media timeout will be over and they're prepared ready to go and like nothing happened and then guys in the middle are you know still a little bit maybe in the yellow and you know they can get back out there but they're not going to be quite as sharp and then guys in the red are not in, in shape enough so that's information for me to share and our coach did a good job especially early in the year where I would bring information to him and say listen this guy is in unbelievable shape this guy here could be in better shape but if you look at the drills, he's not pushing himself hard enough. Like, so like as we're doing indies, like he's just kind of going through the motion. He's not getting any benefit from a physiological standpoint out of here, maybe technical, technical, but no. So like he would then get on the, uh, the guys in that group where he'd tell a coach, you know, like, Hey, like we've got to push these guys a little bit more after practice to get more work in. So I think that metric is important. I think the training load piece is another, another, another part to that to see what our ideal week looks like. You know, do we need to get after it the day before games? Do we need to back off a little bit? So it varies over the course of the season um, from that side. And then with our nutritionist, it, again, the accuracy of it is um, probably not spot on, but the, the caloric uh, expenditure I think is a really good number. Like we have a guy in our roster, uh, Mogi, terrific athlete, SC uh, top 10 three times this year, is a freak athlete. He needs to eat like 6,000 calories a day to maintain his in-season oh, <laughs> so he's bought into it he's all about it but it's hard like you know everyone always says it's a good problem to have no no one wants to eat that many cows that's hard so it's like a they, third they, job there he's got school he's got lifting basketball <laughs> so he sat with our rds and they were like this is what you need to eat i don't think he quite realized what that looked like and then we looked at his practice data and the kid would burn 1300 calories at a practice so then showing him what does 1300 calories look like on a plate or two plates for his for this kid. <laughs> yeah. so, um, you know, so um, stuff like that, I think, is, 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 is helpful. But um, we're very uh, we're very consistent and we're and we practice very, very short um, and, and with pretty high intensity. And then but ultimately with for us, it was really less about, um, hey, are we, we're doing too much managing training load. It was, hey, do we need to do a little bit more with certain guys because our coach is super strategic. And it I go, goes back to the strength coach thing. I've worked with two head coaches. Jeff Bowles was the previous head coach. He's now at Ohio University. And now Gino. Both of those guys have unbelievable feel. They know when the guys need a hard day. They know when they need a light day. They know when they need to back off. He reads the room well. Um, so with both groups, we've never had, we never have guys with overuse injuries. We haven't had the foot and the ankle and the, and the shin splint stuff like that. And it's, and it's, that's 100% because of the way they structure practice and, and they commit to making, they'd rather be have fresh legs than have guys that are banged up. So, um, you know, that, that makes my job a lot easier for sure. Will you, um, with the data, the data piece, is there anything you're exploring, any new metrics or anything you think that, that might make a difference or you have like, it seems to like, I prefer the approach you're talking about where we have the, the, the few metrics we need, let's not overcomplicate it. Um, you know, then let's practically apply what you have, but is there anything else you're looking at in the coming years? Uh, we've, we just got, we got a force plate that I'm going to spend a little bit more nice. time with now. 
downtime. Um, I would really like to look at jump uh, individualizing a little bit more what we do based on their jump met their jump scores, and then use that as a, a little bit our daily readiness so you could use it with the jump mat force blade will be a little bit more accurate um but apply apply that a little bit more in the future cool that's awesome yeah yeah I, the, the data thing really uh is interesting to me I, I think that there's a lot of good there but i also am always scared of myself or you know other people that i'm talking to or whatever maybe putting too much reliance on it instead of using you, you said feel like three times and i me and one of my buddies joe howard down at ucf we talk about this all the time. Like if you don't have feel, it doesn't matter how many numbers you have. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And, and, and there's, and, there, and we work with college athletes and it, and I've never worked in the professional setting. So maybe, maybe I'm off on this, but um, there's so many factors that influence their day to day at the college level that, you know, them being up till three in the morning, some, some athletes are up till three in the morning on their own because they're playing video games, but some days they're <laughs> studying till three o'clock in the morning. Some days they're, um, you know, they're pulled in study hall. So they're, they're not appropriately fueled for practice. So you're trying to get them a snack instead of a meal because that's all they have time for. So it's, it's never in college. It's almost like it's never optimal. So you just have to find your best. You have to have your best day, your best week with what you can control. And I think sometimes with data, it's, you can't control so many factors. So it, you can, you could, you could really overanalyze and overthink things that are outside of your control. Yeah, and you got to educate on sleep. You got to educate on nutrition, but sleep and nutrition, because of the other things that they have in their lives as a college athlete, are never probably going to be optimal. So yeah. you've got to okay, what's what's optimal for my setting versus what's optimal if you were in a lab or you had uh, you were at the professional level and you had control over over the day or they you know they had a little more control over the day, I should say. Yeah, you know, just to, to kind of top off that, like I worked at Summer League last year with the Nets, so we're getting guys that came directly from college who some of them have these habits. You know they do. Um, I think it translates over to the pros too because, yeah, you might have more control over your day, but for some of these guys, they might not have the maturity to understand that, and they continue to do the same things they've been doing, and now you're asked to be at a higher level. You're asked to travel more, you know, and you're asked to do a bunch of things that you might not necessarily have had to do in college. And you might not, you might have kept your college habits, you know? Exactly. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's really good stuff, man. I, I like your take on the data side of things for sure. I also just kind of on my own, on my own side, I don't know. I don't think you guys have any like data scientists or anything like that, but that's the other thing. It's like, we're kind of trying to impose ourselves in a field where uh, we might not no have all the requisite knowledge to, to, do the right things with the data, you know? Exactly. And I, and I had one staff member, Rob Deese, who's a young, a young coach. He's, he's really good. And that's kind of been his area of focus and expertise. So I honestly rely on him a lot for, um, you know, as his role continues to expand, that's, I think, a direction he'll end up going. But, um, you know, we've, we, this is our first year. We've, our women's lacrosse team and our men's soccer team have GPS units. So we dove into that quite a bit with those teams and he's taking the lead on that. But to your point, it's kind of like nutrition was 10 years ago. Everybody had a, basically knew enough to be able to implement some education strategies, but not enough to, you're not writing meal plans, nor should you, you're not, you know, maybe diving down the supplement, uh, 
route because it's maybe out of your your area of expertise. I think the closer we get to experts being experts, the better this field is going to get. And you're seeing a lot of sports nutritionists, dietitians, performance nutrition coaches on staff to be able to apply real like intervention with kids one-on-one versus just the global education piece. I think that's you're going to see that shift continue to evolve from the sports science side. You already have seen that um, at the highest level. They have sports uh, scientists and things of that nature. But I think just like the nutrition piece, we've got two that work part-time that are both awesome. Um, and they're awesome because they connect with the athletes. I think the sports scientist role is a, is a really important one. One I'd love to have my staff, but that person needs to have really elite people skills because you're, you're sharing information that's going to dictate how a coach changes practice. And that's a, that's a sacred thing to a coach. So yeah. that person needs to prep that strength coach who might have the relationship or they need to be very good themselves at communicating. So I think strength coaches who have experience meeting with head coaches that have a passion for sports science can carve a path for themselves. And that's kind of what Rob has done. He's a great coach, a great strength coach. And, but he also has got good people skills and he can, communicate with head coaches. So I think that's where I think I see that field going um, and kind of tying everything together. And I see just, just to wrap up here, I see uh, you've mentioned like collaborating to, to get some of these pieces in place for yourself. I, I, I did a little research on some of the stuff you've been doing. It sounds like you do a lot with faculty even there and stuff. What, what are yep. you doing with collaborating? Like, it seems like you're just, you do a great job. This is something I wish I started to realize towards the end of my year at UMW. Um, and talking to some people, you did a. Gr- you always have done a great job at finding people, assets in your area, and then utilizing the hell out of them. Yeah, I, I think it starts like, what like from the faculty side. I think, but even for myself, like I think as a leader in the, in these roles, like um, knowing your own limitations, like what it, it, whether that's what you have time to do, but still important. Like I think there are a lot of things that are really important that I might have some knowledge on but I might not have time to implement. So you try and find someone either on your staff or outside that can bring that in Um, or really what you're not great at. You know, like I, I love people's, uh, the communication piece, the interactions, you know, I'm 34 and a lot of the stuff I've learned related to data has been through my own uh, basically research and, 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 and knowledge where some of the younger folks might have had that as part of their curriculum. might have a master's degree in sports science, um, or might have done an internship in that area where, you know, for, for me, the internships and things that I did 10, 12, 13 years ago now were you, you were teaching the kids to clean and squat. It, none of that stuff really existed. So you could bring people in that compliment you and, 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 and bring things to the table that you don't necessarily either have or have the time to implement, I think is really important. The faculty piece and then tying people in is, is, it started at UMW because, as you know, there the budget is is non-existent. So, <laughs> what, what things that you want to do that you think might be great, you you need to get creative with. So, um, you know, like we work with our PT department here. We've worked with them for a long time. You know, they have students come over and observe and things of that nature. But they they have a sports science lab on campus. It's it's a little bit of a drive away, but this summer they were like, hey, you know, come on in. Let's we'll do bod pod testing for your offensive line you know, and your oh, that's awesome. bigger guys. Um, and, you know, that's a relationship we want to continue to build and involve. And, you know, as we, as we do our um, testing, like how do we do our, how do we make our, our, our testing procedure screening process kind of all 
intertwined with what they do from sports medicine with concussion, concussion screening? Do we, can we bring in PT to do a more aggressive FMS or SFMA or a different analysis using the technology that they have in their lab? So like, that's a relationship we want to, we, we start, we want to expand on. Um, our health science department, uh, Donna Carpenzano, she leads uh, the internship program there. She, because of that relationship, they can, students can manage our fueling station free. It's an internship. She's worked with athletics. She's, she's provided with us, us with 15 students every semester oh, to wow. manage that fueling. So without that, we would have our GAs doing it or our interns doing it, which would take away from their time in the weight room. So um, those, are, those are just a couple of things. We, we, do, we developed an app with the computer science department in my second year here. We called it Wolfie Metrics. It was basically a data tracking, uh, basically a place to put our testing. It was just a cool experience. So you're working with people that are completely outside of athletics. Um, it, but, you know, ultimately you're tying everybody together. And the, at the end of the day, you want to, you want people in the, in the, at the university to value athletics, not look at it as like you, 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 because we, because athletics, you know, has a higher, it may have a high budget. They might have other things. So you almost always kind of looked at if you don't have a relationship with people as a, we, you know, there's, you know, you know, they got beautiful building a new arena or building a new stadium versus, Hey, I want to go to a game. I know, you know, George over there, I know, you know, Jack, like he's a great guy. Let me go support, you know, the, the sports teams there. Like that, I think that stuff is all really important, not just for developing your program, but for helping to enhance the athletic department's, um, you know, uh, reputation on campus. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. I never even really thought about that. The, the way you're tying everything into me just makes all the sense in the world. I hope, uh, hopefully more, more schools kind of go this route if, if it's something that's feasible for them. For sure. Where, um, where do you see yourself going with this, with this whole thing? Like what are some upcoming goals and things you want to implement over the next few years here? Yeah. The, the big one is the, the, the performance testing with physical therapy. We had some conversations. We got a new Dean in the health science department who I met with two weeks ago. Um, she was really excited about it. Obviously all of these things uh, coming up here uh, kind of put a hold on some of that stuff, but I think the silver lining is you have more time to plan and, um, put something into practice or that's, that's spot on versus kind of pushing into anything. So I think that's the positive there, but then just uh, honestly, you know, very, uh, to be completely transparent, just grow in the role that I'm in, you know, this is the first year I'm in it and a lot of it is new and I'd be lying to you if I said, I felt like I have all the answers for what I should be doing and what, what the, and what the, the role should look like long-term, but I'm excited to kind of be able to like create, uh, what this position ultimately ends up being. That's awesome, man. I, I think there's going to be a lot of good takeaways in here for people that are admins, at, you know, the D1, D2, D3 level here. I, I, I kind of wish we had this discussion uh, two years ago when I was over at UMW. This is very, yeah. very uh, enlightening. It's been great. Um, last question for me. Can I get on your wife's meal plan? Because you got to stop posting those. I get hungry every time I see it. You can. You can. She's, she's a stud. No person <laughs> in the world be quarantined with and her with uh in terms of <laughs> in terms of food for sure that's awesome anything anything before i let you go anything you want to plug um your socials any projects anything like that for people yeah. where they can find you? if anybody wants to reach out um media is at green strength green with an e at the end on uh, twitter and instagram but um anybody can email me and um if, if that's easier too awesome thanks so much george really appreciate the time man you got it man